<clears throat> well, thanks for, uh, thanks for having me for your man's camp. It's been a real pleasure and honor. I'm trying to see how much time I got here. 7.45? Uh, well, I, <clears throat> well I'm not, I'll try not to belabor the point anyway, but thank you. Thanks for, uh, thanks for having me with you. I always appreciate being here with, with you guys, with Eltham Church and the Vine Churches now. So I'm deeply grateful for the time together. And uh, yeah, this morning we're going to look at the Lord's Prayer. Just uh, very simply, very quickly, but I'm, I'm going to have a little special focus on praise and worship because I wanted to speak on both of those this morning. I wanted to speak on the Lord's Prayer, but I also wanted to focus on praise and worship because of what that has meant in my life and what I think that uh, it means for all of us. Well, the Lord's Prayer, as we well know, is some people call it the Disciples' Prayer. It's the model prayer. It's really a simple prayer, but it's a thorough prayer. It's an example or a pattern of how to pray. Uh, some people, of course, pray it over and over. That's great. Uh, if you pray it with your heart and not just out of rote, it's, the, it's maybe the ingredients that should go into our prayers, just some of the basics that go in. And it's a praying the Scriptures prayer. Uh, the Lord's Prayer is actually in Matthew, of course, Matthew 6 and Mark, uh, I mean Luke 11. But we're going to look at Matthew 6. Uh, most likely this is the... Uh, more of the original one because it's longer, and I think Matthew, Luke 11 is a little shorter, and most scholars believe that this probably was more of the exact fullness of the prayer. But Matthew 6, 9 through 15. And Jesus said, and of course this was the answer, the disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. Not Lord, teach us to preach, or Lord, teach us to talk, or Lord, teach us to do miracles, but Lord, teach us to pray because they saw Jesus pray. And it says in Mark, early in the morning, a great while before day, Jesus went out to a lonely place and he prayed. Jesus said, I can only do what I see my father doing. I can only say what I hear my father saying. It's the father living in him doing his work. So Jesus prayed. So Jesus says, pray then like this. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Again, it's a fairly short prayer. It's a simple prayer. Jesus was profound, but most of the time, he was, uh, well, he, he, was, he was simple. He was simple enough that children could understand him. Of course, his parables sometimes could be very complex, but... He didn't always tell parables so that people could understand. He told parables to keep people from understanding. Sometimes we get that backwards. Some of them were so that you can understand, and some of them he tells parables so that people hear and not understand. Anyway, this Lord's Prayer is a fairly simple. I think there are three things on God's heart here that we see. His name is exalted, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. His reign extended, your kingdom come. And his will executed, your will be done. So three things on God's heart, his name, his reign, and his will. And then three things on our heart as we pray. Our needs, give us this day our daily bread. Our sins, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who sin against us. And our way, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So I think Jesus covers three things here on God's heart and three things on our heart, his name, his reign, his will, 
that His name is exalted, His reign is extended, and His will is executed. And then we, our needs, our needs are provided, our sins are pardoned, and our way is protected. <clears throat> His name is exalted, our Father. Interesting, it, that's a, it says, hallowed be your name, but really that's not His name, is it? That's, that's His person, our Father. It doesn't say Yahweh, who art in heaven, or Jehovah, who art in heaven, or Elohim, who art in heaven. It says Father, our Father. He's a person, and He's in heaven. It's His position. Hallowed be your name. Praise. Our Father. I remember... Uh, I remember once being in Jerusalem and uh, seeing a little boy walking down the street with his, with his mother. And uh, she had two little kids. She was holding one in her arms and a little boy she was holding like this. And all of a sudden, I just was watching him, and all of a sudden he just broke free from his mother. It just started running, and I thought, oh, my, where's the kid going? And he ran as hard as he could, and coming the other direction was a man who was obviously his, his dad. And this little boy was running towards him. And as he ran towards him, he was yelling, Abba, Abba, Abba. And then he jumped into his arms. And I thought, wow, our Abba jumped into his arms. So our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. A.W. Tozer said, worship of the loving God is man's whole reason for existence. That is why we are born. And that is why we were born again from above. The primary reason God put us on this earth, I believe, is to worship Him. And if we miss that, we're going to miss the majority of what the Christian life is all about. You know, in heaven, the Bible says that these, 20, these four living creatures <clears throat> that surround the throne, they never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Isn't that amazing? These living creatures, the most... These powerful, outrageously powerful, magnificent living creatures, and they never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. And they never breathe, so they don't have to take a breath. And I've often wondered, do they say that all the time because they're so near the throne, or are they so near the throne because they say that all the time? Yeah, yeah. We were created to worship God, 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. And learning to worship God, I've learned it so poorly, but it has absolutely transformed my life. And that's why I want to spend just a little extra time on that portion of the prayer, 1 Peter 2, 9. But you are chosen people. Do you know you were chosen before the creation of the world? Is that outrageous? If you know Christ is your Savior, which you do, Ephesians 1.3 says, For He chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. It's outrageous that this morning the third person of the Trinity lives inside your body. Almighty God lives inside your body. The God who created the heavens and the earth, that same Holy Spirit who hovered over the deep at creation, He lives inside your body. You have a heart, you have lungs, you have a stomach, and Almighty God lives inside of your body. And that ought to absolutely change the way we live. And not only that, but He chose you. <laughs> he chose you. You're special. Ephesians 1.3. He chose you before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. 
You know why he chose you? To be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined you to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he freely given us and the one he loves. Man. No wonder the devil's so mad. He once had something like that. And now we got it, and he doesn't, and he hates it. But you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. Why? That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. You were created to praise God. When Adam and Eve walked in the garden before there was sin, they walked with him, they worshiped him, and then when sin came, they fell, and everything got messed up. But we're still created to declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness. And that's what we'd be doing throughout eternity. We'll be doing other things throughout eternity, but we will be praising him. We will be worshiping him. 1 Corinthians 10, 31, I just that. <clears throat> that phrase changed my life. That sentence changed my life. I was 34 years old. I was a pastor. And an old retired preacher who had finished the race. He was finishing the race. Hadn't finished yet. He was finished the, finishing the race, finishing well. He was going to preach a message in our church that morning. He sat in my study. And when I get around old people, now I'm one of them, but when I used to get around old people, when I still get around older people, I like to just kind of mine the rivers of their life and see if I can find some gold in there. You know what I mean? Just mine those streams and find some gold. This old man, Bill Allen, he sat in my office one morning, and I looked at him, and I said, Brother Bill, I said, you are finishing the race. You've done well. You've, you've fought the good fight. You got anything for me? I said, is there anything? Is there anything I must know? And without skipping a beat, he looked at me, and he said, yes, sir, young man, there is. If you can learn the secret of praise, it will revolutionize your life. And that's like somebody took some hot tar and just threw it on me, and it stuck, and it's never got off. And he said to me, young man, he said, I've been through things so dark, so deep, so desperate, I couldn't even pray. He said, there are times I tried to pray, it's like the heavens were brass, my prayers were bouncing back, everything was so dark. And he said, I learned when I cannot pray my way through, I praise my way through. If you can learn the secret of praise, it'll revolutionize your life. And I've learned over my life that four of the greatest weapons we've got against Satan, who is alive and well on planet Earth, four of our greatest weapons that he fears the most, the name of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, the Word of God, and worship. He hates worship. I believe the Bible teaches that very likely Lucifer was one of the chief worshipers, if not the chief worshiper. He knows worship. He knows exactly what worship is. He knows exactly how powerful it is, and he wants worship. What did he tell Jesus to do? He said, if you bow down and worship me, we skip the cross. Just bow down and worship me. That's all he wants. That's what he wants from you. That's what he wants from me. Worship me. And Jesus said, worship the Lord God and him only. If you can learn the secret of praise, it will revolutionize your life. I was sitting on this, dark, uh, this dry and dusty hill in Rosarito, Mexico. I called it Rosarito Hill. And I'd been spending some time that afternoon. It was a hot, dusty August afternoon. For us, that's hot. <clears throat> that's summer. I was praying, and as I was just sitting on a rickety, broken-down chair that was sitting there that I sat on and prayed, and 
as I was closing my prayer, I said, God, is there anything else? Lord, is there anything else you want to tell me? And the Lord spoke very clearly to me, and he said, as you worship me, I will work in and through you. I promise. I thought the I promise was sweet. He didn't have to say that. He didn't have to say any of it. But as you worship me, I will work in and through you. I promise. A guy named Jack Taylor said, I feel safe in telling you that if you engage in a serious study and practice of praise, your life will never again be the same. Worship in spirit and truth. John 4, 23 and 24, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. Do you notice that? What is the Father seeking? People to worship Him. Man, I say, hey, I volunteer. <laughs> Lord, if you're, you, you are seeking people to worship you, man. You know, I used to, <laughs> tell you how, I don't want to sound spiritual, but that word's overused. I used to think it was pretty arrogant of God. Now, can you imagine this? I mean, if you all want to throw up and walk out when I say this, I understand. You say, I can't listen to this guy anymore. But I used to wonder, why does God demand my worship? I mean, what, what about God worship me? Why, why does God demand worship? That, it, that's rather egotistical, isn't it? And then I came to the conclusion, and I realized the greatest thing, my, I, think, uh, I think John Piper puts it sort of like this, or Jonathan Edwards, which John Piper got a lot from Jonathan Edwards. But my greatest joy and God's greatest glory in my life are found in the same thing, my worshiping him. For those of you who have truly entered into deep, solid, solemn worship, you know the greatest joy, the greatest peace, the greatest you will ever have is when you are deep in the worship of God, right? So the reason God wants me to worship Him is because God knows that I, as I worship Him, that is when I will experience my fullness realization of why He created me, my greatest joy is not so that, you know, God just knows that my greatest joy, my greatest fulfillment is going to be when I worship Him. And He gives me the privilege and you the privilege of doing that. That's why. Plus, He, he deserves to be worshipped. He wants to be worshipped. He demands worship because of who He is. But in that worship is where I find my greatest joy. The Father is seeking such to people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. Well, we could spend the whole hour of what that means in spirit and in truth. But it doesn't mean in spirit like, yeah, happy, clappy, let's get to spirit, that kind of thing. But <clears throat> we have a soul, a spirit, and a body. And we commune with God with our spirits. Now we commune with our bodies and our soul as well. But the deep communion, one-on-one, -on -one, our interaction, he's one with our spirit. So we worship in spirit and we worship in truth. And truth is not just one plus one equals two, and that's true. That's solid. That's true. I believe that word truth there means, the, it's the, the Greek word is aletheia, and it means the fullness of everything that is. We worship God in the fullness of all that he is. 
Well, Richard Sibbs, the whole life of a Christian should be nothing but praises to God. I already said that one. Hallowed be your name, whatever comes to me. Sometimes, yeah, you've probably never experienced any difficult times, but I have. Because you're on a different spiritual plane than I am. But man, I have come to times in my life when the absolute bottom has just fallen out. And for me, for me, my purpose statement, I've written a little purpose statement for my life. I exist to worship Jesus Christ by abiding in him moment by moment as a branch abides in a vine and to encourage others to do the same. That's why God put me on planet earth, I believe, to worship Jesus and to encourage others to do the same as I abide in Christ. But sometimes when I'm lost in the woods and, you know, the, the weeds and everything else, I pull out my compass, and true north for me is worship. If I'm lost, I don't know what to do, I worship. If I'm confused, I don't know what to do, I worship. If I'm, the bottom's just falling out, I worship. And by worship, I don't mean I sit and, you know, sing kumbaya or, you know, let's clap. I'm talking about I just go before God and I say, oh, God. All hell may break against me, but, Lord, I still, I worship you. Lord, I adore you. I love you. Enable me, Lord, just to praise you. You know, go into that worship. Okay. Mm. That's right. Yeah, you're going to worship somebody. What you going to do? I mean, you got a choice, right? You can sit down and cry or start screaming like Doc and beating on the floor. Or <laughs> which, by the way, doesn't do any good, as I learned. Or you can worship. So the first thing, his name exalted our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. His reign extended, your kingdom come. Well, I did a teaching a couple years ago just on the kingdom. The, the word kingdom, the, the word kingdom is his rule, his reign, his authority, and his power. So when we pray for his kingdom, in the New Testament, the word kingdom primarily means the rule of God. It's not primarily a place, it's a rule. Okay? So when it says your kingdom come, I'm praying that his rule would come into my life. His kingdom, that the RRAP is his rule, reign, authority, and power. The kingdom that's already come, his rule, reign, authority, and power, and it's not yet. I'm not going to go deeper into that. And then his will executed. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Boy, what does that actually look like? Lord, your will be done in my life. Oops, I just lost my job. <laughs> Lord, may your will be done. That's not what I meant, God, I, you know. But uh, oftentimes, <laughs> his will will put us in circumstances where we have to trust him. So, three things on God's heart. His name exalted, his reign extended, and his will executed. Well, three things on our heart. Our needs provided, our sins pardoned, our way protected. Give us this day our daily bread. Matthew 6, 33. 
Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. Now, this is a promise. Don't worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to put on. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you as well. I'll give you just a quick little testimony. I'm, I work with OM, Operation Mobilization, and <clears throat> we have to raise our own support. When I joined OM, we weren't allowed to raise our own support. 33 years ago, 32 years ago when I joined, we couldn't raise support. We had to just pray it in. If you prayed it in, you went. If you didn't pray it in, you didn't go. Then after a couple years, even if somebody asked us, do you need support? All we could say was, the policy was, all we could say was, uh, God provides. Then after a couple years, they got really generous. And if somebody asked if you, could, uh, if you needed support, you could say yes. But you still couldn't ask. And then after three or five, uh, probably four or five years, three or four years after I was in OM, they decided, okay, let's just start teaching support raising, which is a good thing. People didn't know how to do it. So OM now is very good at teaching support raising, and that's the basic way mo many missionaries, most missions or organizations, they teach their people to raise support. So my wife and I enthusiastically began to try to raise support. And then God told my wife and me, her name's Stelise, God told Stelise and me, you can't do that. What do you mean we can't do that? You can't raise support. You have to just trust me. Can we ask? You can't ask. Nothing wrong with it. And maybe I could have gotten more if I would have. I don't know. Here's what I know. If God tells you to do something, you have to do it. And God put it in my wife and my heart. He confirmed it that we were not able to raise support. All we could do. So for the past 32 years, for the past 32 years, my wife and I have lived on people giving towards our support and for a period of about two months, 30 years ago, we tried and then we quit. But except for that time, I've never raised support. I've never asked for support. I've never sent out a support letter. We've just trusted God. Like George Mueller. George Mueller. And again, I'm not saying that's better or worse than anything else. I'm just saying that God, that's what God told my wife and me to do. And now 34 years later... 32 years later, recently, yeah, yeah, oftentimes we hear, I hear people say, how in the world did we get in this shape financially? You ever heard that? You know, how in the world did we ever get in this shape financially? And my wife and I looked at each other and we said, how in the world did we ever, did we get in this shape financially? We have no debt. I don't owe anybody a thing. By the grace of God, we own our own home. It's a small home. It's a very modest home. We own our home. I've married off two daughters, put one through a very expensive college, never borrowed a dime. And I look back at it and I go, how did that happen? It happened by the promises of God. So let me tell you this. No matter what your circumstance is now, whether you've lost your job, whether you get it, whatever, just remember this. If you are seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, understand what those are. 
then you don't have to worry about what you're going to drink, what, you, what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to put on. Because Jesus said, if you seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, these things will be provided for you. Okay? Now, I know that's a bold statement. But I'm just, by the testimony of what I've lived through, what George Mueller's been through, what so many people, some of you have been, I mean, you've seen God provide, right? Time and again, you've seen God provide. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Hmm. Forgive us as we forgive. Is there anybody in your life you need to forgive? I know a guy in Texas who has a full-time deliverance ministry. And he said to me one time, Chip, he said, unforgiveness is like giving the devil an invitation on a silver platter to mess up your life. Is there anyone in your life you need to forgive? Now, <clears throat> to forgive your neighbor for breaking down your fence or, you know, the neighbor's dog for eating your tomatoes or whatever it might have been is one thing. But, well, harboring bitterness, harboring bitterness is like drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. You ever just been bitter against somebody? Maybe not. Man, I have. Just flat out furiously bitter. I mean, man, I'd lie awake and try to figure out ways that I wish they would die. This is how bitter I was. This is how much bitterness and pain and hurt I had in my life. Not only did I want them to die, but hell was going to be too good for them. God, isn't there anything worse than hell for them? Man, I was bitter for some deep, 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 deep hurt. And it almost destroyed me. And you know what? My bitterness, you know what it did to the people that I was bitter against? Nothing. They didn't even know I was bitter. And if they would have known, you know what? They wouldn't have cared. They didn't care what they did to me. I was the one who had to suck it all up. And I was so bitter. Well, how do you forgive deep hurts when the offender isn't even sorry? Now, again, maybe you don't have any deep hurts, but maybe you do. How do you forgive deep hurts when the offender isn't even sorry? Sorry. For 20 years, that's hard to see that. For 20 years, I prayed for God to show me why he allowed something to happen in my life. Oh, it was a deep hurt, deep hurt. I remember one time I was just banging the steering wheel in my car, just saying, God, why did you let this happen to me? God, why did you let this happen to me? What are you trying to do, God? Kill me. And the Lord said, yes. I'm trying to kill you so that I might live through you. Oh. I remember one time, man, I was, I was sitting by a lake. Such pain. I was sitting by a lake and I was crying. And then I started throwing up. Just from the pain. And then I couldn't throw up anymore, so I was just dry heaving. 
and I was on my hands and knees on the concrete, just heaving. If a cop would have come by, probably would have arrested me and thrown me in jail for whatever. How do you forgive that kind of hurt? So for 20 years, I prayed, God, why did you let this happen to me? God, why did you let this happen to me? God, why did you let this happen to me? And one time, I was driving down the road. I was going to a conference. I was doing about 120K, going down the road. And all of a sudden, I was yelling out, God, why did you let this happen to me? And he answered me. For 20 years, I'd prayed. And now here I am driving down the road, 70 miles an hour, 120K an hour. <laughs> and he chose to answer me. And I almost had to pull off the road because I was so overwhelmed. And here's what the Lord said to me. It's a gift. This is a gift I've given you so that you can receive an even greater gift that will bear eternal fruit. Will you accept the gift? And the first thing I said to the Lord was, God, if this is a gift, it is in some butt-ugly wrapping paper. <laughs> and then I said, okay. It's a gift? Okay, I'll accept the gift. This is a gift I've given you so that you'll receive a greater gift that will bear eternal fruit. Will you accept the gift? I said, yes, Lord, I'll accept the gift. I'll accept the gift. And to accept the gift, I began to thank God for the gift. I actually began to worship God for the gift. And instead of wanting these people to die and me wanting to kill them and whatever, I began to say, Jesus, thank you for the gift. You know, it's like Ollie was saying last night. This, there's a book called Thank You Therapy. Just, Lord, thank you for the gift. Just Thank you, Lord, for the gift. I'm going to believe you, God, because this life is not just, a, my life is not just about my time on this earth. My life is about the forever and what I do on this earth and what you do on this earth and how you live on this earth and what you accept from God and your worship to God. What you do on this earth, what I do on this earth is going to affect our eternity. We're not just all going to just die and you know, go to heaven, and we're all, okay, we made it in. I mean, there are going to be gifts. The Bible says there are going to be rewards. I truly believe the Bible teaches that how we live here is going to affect our eternity, not whether or not we get into heaven or not. That's grace. That's a free gift. But it's going to affect. And God said to me, this is a gift. And if you'll accept this gift, I'll give you a greater gift that will bear eternal fruit. I have no idea what that eternal fruit is. But I choose to believe him. And I'm grateful for the gift. And the more I thank him for the gift, and the more I worship him for the gift, the more blessed I am. And that's when I forgave. I forgave when I began to thank him for the gift. And you know something? Oh, Lord, this is so difficult. I mean, there's some things that are so hard to forgive. I remember once this pastor, I was at a pastor's conference, and this pastor was well-known a well-known evangelist teacher, pastor in America, and he was teaching on forgiveness. And he said, he said, brothers, pastors, we just got to forgive. Just forgive and forget. Just forgive and forget. So after the session, I went up to him. I said, sir, can I ask you a question? He said, yes. What's your question, young man? I said, what? what? And he said, and he, he said, forgive and forget and just don't think about it again. I said, oh, okay. 
Let me ask you a question. You said forgive, forget, and don't think about it again. What would you tell a woman who had been uh, attacked, kidnapped, brutally raped, and uh, every time her husband touches her, she freezes up and goes into hysteria? You just tell her to forgive and forget and not think about it? Sir, what would you tell her? He turned around and walked off. Didn't answer my question. He just looked at me and turned around and walked off. I guess he thought I was being smart. I don't know. But he had no answer for that. So I'm not saying by any means. I mean, some of the hurt, some of what you've been through, maybe your children, maybe your wife, maybe your siblings have been through deep stuff, and you just say, how in the world do you forgive that? The only way I know to forgive it is say, Jesus, somehow I trust in this. You're sovereign. And, Lord, I worship you anyway. And I choose to forgive. And again, the only way I could forgive is to begin to thank him and realize that it's about eternity as well. Have I forgotten? No. Does it still hurt? Yes. Do I still get hit by the dump truck full of junk that dumps on me sometimes? Yes. Takes my breath away. Yes. Somebody say, Chip. Mmm. Mm. 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 So you're saying seeing Jesus, say that again about seeing Jesus when it happened. What did you say, Scott? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. 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 Thank you. Yeah. You know, it, and yes, if you've got any issues with forgiveness, go talk to Scott. Let him pray with you. And I mean that very, very seriously. When I was a little boy, I had a horrible relationship with my mother. My mother mocked me. She, one day I asked her, when did our problem start? And her response was, let's see, when were you born? So, I mean, it was bad, really bad. And one time, just, I, I, I remember the first time, I re remember a really bad thing my, my mother did, and my, my neighbor and I were sitting, my little neighbor Larry, we were probably six years old, we were sitting on a little hill in our backyard, a hot, sweaty afternoon, and my mother came out with uh, two little glasses of lemonade and gave them to each of us, and she said something very, very kind to Larry, and then she did something to me that just crushed me, and she walked off. And I remember, that's probably the first time that I remember my mother really crushing me, well, fast forward 40 years. I was at a conference in Germany, and I was telling this to a friend of mine who was also a counselor. And he said, Chip, where was Jesus when that happened? I said, I don't know. I guess he was in heaven. You know, spirits in me, he was in heaven. I don't know where he was. And he said, why don't you ask Jesus where he was? And I thought, well, this is a little odd, you know. You know we, and he said, just can we take a minute and you just ask Jesus? Where he was? I said, okay. He was a solid guy, I trust him. So I just shut my eyes and I said, Jesus, 
where were you when that happened? Now, let me back up. One of the things I, I, one of the things I thought was so precious when I was a, a little boy was to see a mother or a father doing this to their children, just running, you know, just, just running their hands, their fingers through their little boy's hair. For some reason, that just, I thought, man, that's, that's really cool. So I'm sitting there praying, Jesus, where were you? And I saw that little boy in my mind. I saw that little boy sitting on that hill. And I had a picture of Jesus sitting next to me. And he was doing this to my hair. And I just broke down and cried. I just cried and cried and cried. Well, that was in January. In March, I flew to our ship, Dulos, over in Bahrain. <clears throat> and uh, I was doing a, a teaching. And after the teaching, this young girl from one of the stands came up to me. I don't remember where she was from. She said, uh, while, while you were teaching, God gave me a vision of you. Can I, can I tell you what he showed me? I said, yeah. She said, well, you were, you were standing face to face to Jesus. But you weren't looking at him. Your head was down on his chest. And he was looking at you. And you had your forehead down on his chest. And he reached his hand down. And he lifted up your chin. And then he began to do this to your hair. She said, does that mean anything to you? <laughs> I said, you have no idea. But again, where was Jesus when that happened? Yes. Yeah. 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 Right. I think sometimes the only way we can forget would be to get a lobotomy, you know. What's that? Or grow old. Yeah, or grow old. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Again, unforgiveness. The to forgive is the hardest thing I've ever had to do in my life. But it's been one of the most important things I've ever done because unforgiveness will absolutely destroy you. Again, it's like drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. Okay, our way protected, and I'll finish this up. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Grace. I have a, a, a very good friend who is a psychologist, and he's heard so much hurt. He's heard so, so, so much hurt. And he told me last time we had breakfast together, he said, he said, Chip, I want Christianity with the asterisk. And the, you know, you read, so got, he said, I want Christianity with the asterisk. And the asterisk says, without any pain, and God delivers me from all evil. He said, that's the Christianity I want, with no pain. But you know, Jesus dying on the cross, it kind of shattered that altogether, didn't it? Well, a lot of horrible things happen to Jesus' followers. That's a whole study in itself. That's a whole study in itself. I can say this.
we're in a war zone. We live in a war zone. When we come to the realization that this world is a battleground and not a playground, it'll change your paradigm. We're at war. And my brothers, we have an enemy who hates us. But thank God, greater is he who is in me than he that is in the world. And if we had time, we could go through the whole thing of the authority we have over Satan. Luke ten nineteen. Behold, I give unto you authority to tread on the backs of serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And I can tell you this, even though we will still have to face the battles, if we understand our identity in Christ and the authority we have over the enemy, we don't have to fear him. He fears us. Yes, sir. You know, right, that's a good question, Michael. Let's move on to the next one. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That, that, is, that is an excellent question, and uh, I serve with OM, but I serve with OM Arts, and in OM Arts, for the past two months, we've been dealing with the Lord's Prayer, and when we got to that, lead us not into temptation, we were falling all over the place, because Jesus says, lead us not into temptation, and yet, right after he was baptized, what happened? He was led into temptation, into the wilderness. Sorry? No, it wasn't God. Well, it says he was, he was it, it, it does say that he was uh, compelled by the Holy Spirit, that he was led the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. Yeah. And, and you can debate that, but it talk, you can look at that, but it says, and immediately the Holy Spirit led him. We'll check that out. The Holy Spirit led him into the, into the wilderness. Right, absolutely, absolutely. The, oh, oh my, after 40 days, and I imagine he showed up with a chicken leg in his mouth, you know, just, you hungry, you hungry, Jesus, you know, you know, I mean, the lies of Satan. Can you imagine what that would have been like? Yeah, oh, so you're the son of God. You don't look like the son of God. You look nothing like the son of God to me. You look like an emaciated, and yet nobody knew better who he was than Satan. Satan had known him before the creation of the world. Satan, Satan knew all about him. <laughs> Satan knew him in heaven before the fall. But you're absolutely right. It was at the end when he was most vulnerable. Question back here at the back. Yeah. 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 Good. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, I don't know about in connection with understanding the will of God, but let, let me just, can I, I'm going to touch on that. It's excellent, but back, Michael, and we'll, we'll draw this to a close very quickly here. But lead us not into temptation is debated, debated, debated. What does that mean? You know, does he lead us into temptation? Does that mean that, uh, you know, God cannot be tempted by evil? Uh, are we being led into temptation? Is what, what, what all does that mean? Was Jesus led into temptation? Jesus was led into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Uh, deliver us from evil. Does that mean deliver us from the evil one? And on and on and on. And quite honestly, uh, I, I'm not sure. But this I do know. I pray that. Lord, Lord, just keep me out of temptation. Whether it means lead me, keep me out of temptation. Give me the strength to stay out of temptation. Lord, deliver me from the evil one. Deliver me from evil. Yeah. Yeah, I know. That's a question. And in and, and OMRs, we've been studying this for a month. And again, that's the one we got hung up on and said, what does that mean? And we're still working through this. On, on the, just very quickly here, on the, uh, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Again, kingdom, it, it means God's rule. And it says, may, may your rule come and may your, rule, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And there's the already and the not yet aspect of the rule of God. You know, when Jesus came, Jesus embodied the kingdom, the rule, the reign, the authority, and the power of God. And Jesus came, when he came in his first coming, he brought the already. He brought the first fruits of the rule, the reign, the authority, and the power of God. And we see he began to, he raised the dead, he healed the sick, he, he did all these miracles. We're going to see that fully in the kingdom when it fully comes, this rule, reign, authority, and power. That's the kingdom we're going to live in. So there's the partial kingdom that's come and the fullness of the kingdom that's going to come. Okay. Yes. Yeah, yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. 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 According to the Great Commission in Mark chapter 16, verses 17 and 18, which some people debate was whether that was a part of the original manuscripts, it should. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name they will do these things. So, yes. And also, we see smatterings of that. And in, in parts of the world, they're seeing miracles. They're seeing great miracles. I've, I've never seen anybody raised from the dead. I've laid hands on the sick and seen them rise and that sort of thing. So, yes, I think we should see those things. Why are we not seeing them here? Why don't we see them in the, in, uh, the, the Western world like they're seeing them in Africa? I've heard 
people say, well, we don't need to like they do. They believe, you know, more than we do. So should we be seeing those? I don't know about the should we, but are they happening? Yes, they are happening. Why don't they happen more? I don't know. But, yeah, they, they are happening. And these are the first fruits. You know what, that, and that's exactly how some people will interpret that, and that's some of the ways, I mean, translate, uh, in Bible commentators, they, they struggle with how to interpret that, and I've read some of the interpretations is that, say it again, Scott, say it good and loud. Yeah. Yes. 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 Yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah. 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 Boy, I, I see a great thing here coming on for the you, you men to discuss and work through, you know, at a later time in this. And <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, just a couple more and then we'll we'll bring it down. Did you have something to say, too? OK. Yes, sir. Yeah. 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 Good. Back. Somebody has something. Anybody back here? Okay, Sam. Do you have something to say, or are you calling it to a close here? Sorry? Oh, you were going to say something. I'm sorry. I didn't see your hand. I was going to say, for me, it's very much about the attitude. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Boy, that's dumb, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. 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 And you can't overestimate or overtalk about humility. If, if you want to read a great book on humility, read Humility by Andrew Murray. Yes, excellent point. Sam.
Absolutely. Yeah. Good. Well, more to more for you guys to chew on there. Just a quick review. We'll finish up here. Three things on God's heart. That his name is exalted. That's the primary thing. His reign is extended. That's his kingdom. Rule, reign, authority, and power. His will is executed on earth as it is in heaven. His rule May your rule be here as it is there. And it is partially, but it will be complete. So three things on God's heart. His name, His reign, and His will. And three things on our heart. Our needs provided, our sins pardoned, and our way, whatever that means, protected. And Sam looked at the Greek word there. Could be trials as well as temptations. Lead us not into trials. The Lord prayer, Lord's Prayer models these primary things to focus on when we pray. He is first in our prayers. Primarily, our prayers are all about Him. We get that mixed up. We really are praying on, the, on our heads here. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, His name, His reign, His will. And all these things will be added to you, our needs, our sins and our way what matters to God should matter to us because what matters to us matters to God and if we tend to his business he will tend to our business you know you tend to your business I'll tend to mine no if you tend to his business he'll tend to yours and I think that's what the Lord's Prayer teaches us. Sam. Oh, thank you very much, Chip. That's been very, very stimulating, and I'm sure that we'll have a lot to think about and pray about in the days that lie ahead. I hope you've been able to take some good notes, and um, we'll, we'll have to get the, the notes to you. We can, we can email them all, as you say. So we're going to have morning tea now. Please come back again um, just uh, at, at 10.30. And we'll go into a time of worship and prayer. 
and um, also um, we'll extend a little bit. Um, we've got a few announcements that we'd like to make and um, just regarding what lies ahead in the next quarter uh, and in the next year. So enjoy your morning tea. Please don't go too far away. Come back in about 20 minutes. Yeah, thank you.